speak to you this morning on the subject of faith in the fire or joy in tragedy. All of the scripture this morning is predicated upon something very simple. I'll tell you that's what that is. It's the righteousness of one man. It's not you and I. It's Jesus Christ. If Jesus is not righteous, nothing that Paul wrote even begins to have you ever been in the fire? Have you ever been, if you would, in the traffic jam? We go through life and we have these, these matters that come our way that make our walking and our talking and our living a little bit more difficult than other times. I can tell you the times that you know I have had to suffer when returning a pair of shoes to the fireman's jam. I can tell you about the time that I had to suffer the fast food joint didn't get my order right. We think that we suffer more. This uh, past week, as we were at Annual Conference, just before Annual Conference, I found out that a friend of mine, a clergy friend of mine, a colleague, if you would, by the name of Bill Wiley, uh, Bill served on the Board of Pensions with me when I served on the Board of Pensions. Uh, Bill is the pastor of Montrose Zion United Methodist Church up in Akron, Ohio. And uh, Bill came home one day to find out that down at the school in the parking lot at the uh, basketball courts, uh, his son, Ethan, 17 years old, had been beaten to death. Sort of makes the shoe return in bad order pretty inconsequential. I would say that my friend Bill, right now, is going to fire. What thing had to do with Rose's father? It had everything to do with it because all of us think at some point in our life that we're going through the fire, and there is a difference between how a Christian goes through the fire and a non-Christian goes through the fire. There is a difference between how you go through a traffic jam and how others go through the traffic jam. Remember what I said to you a moment ago? All that we are going to talk about today is is only there because Jesus is righteous. Now, do you remember Abraham? It says this morning in the text we read that Abraham was given righteousness because of his faith. That, that Abraham, when he took his son Isaac up there and was about to offer him, that was his faith in God. When, when Abraham packed up all of his earthly belongings to head off to the promised land, that was an act of and because he trusted God, believed God, placed his hope in God, he was seen by God as a righteous man. King James Bible uses the word imputed to him righteousness. You see, Abraham's faith in God was evidence to all around him, as well as to God, that Abraham trusted God. What Paul's writing about here today is our reconciliation to God. You and I, our faith or lack thereof in God, because our faith in God and our reconciliation to God can never rest upon our own righteousness. It rests upon one who has the name above all names. It rests upon the righteousness of Jesus and his actions on the cross, not ours. When we believe in the work of those actions on the cross, when we believe that his shed blood is sufficient to cover every sin that I have ever we place our faith in that. He is righteousness. Just as righteousness was imputed to Abraham, his righteousness is imputed to us. When we trust 
trust that blood and we trust and place our faith in what he did upon the cross. Because only Jesus' blood, the righteous blood, could overcome the power of sin in our lives and the power of death in our lives. But here's the thing. Even after one trusts in Jesus, even after one accepts his forgiveness, even after one chooses to place their faith in his shed blood, bad things still happen. And we will find ourselves in a position for Step on the holy grounds of the temple, you will be put to death. 
You think the Jews had a problem? They couldn't get into the access of God because of the veil? If you were a Gentile, you were kept further away, and if you chose to try, you would be put to death. You remember the strange thing that Matthew and Luke tells us about the day that Jesus died? The veil of the temple literally too, that it was torn in two. And when it's torn in two, something happens. That physical event of the of the veil in the temple being torn down was a spiritual analogy of what Christ was doing on the cross for us. Every barrier that kept us from God has been torn down, ripped down, broken down. So much so that Paul would write another place these words. He himself is our peace. Look at that verse up there, church. Through him, through who? Through Jesus. What are we gaining access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God? And what is it that we have? Remember what the first verse said. We have peace with God. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross and he himself, Paul writes, is our peace. And he has made us both one. And he's broken down the wall of hostility between us in his flesh. That veil that tore in the temple that day, it may have been the veil that tore, but it was God's heart that broke, that was ripped in two as Jesus hung upon the cross. The only righteous one that ever lived had to die so that you and I could have access by faith to the grace that leads us to the signing of the peace agreement with God. As in the book of Ephesians 2.18, through him, we have access in one spirit to the Father. What I'm about to read is here in this book of Hebrews, I love it. Listen closely. In Hebrews 10, verses 19 and 25, I'm going to take a verse of time. Listen to the, the notion, if you would, of access that comes because of what Jesus did on the cross. Brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, and by the new and living way that he has spoken for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts now sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed pure with water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, because the one who promised this to us is faithful. And let us consider how we should stir each other up to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the manner of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you begin the day of protein. Mm -hmm. Just because of the record, he just said, we have the confidence to enter God's holy place. And we have a new living with him. He's overcome us to get through the curtain. Through his flesh, we have a great high priest over the house of God that allows us to draw near with a true heart. In full assurance of our faith, that our hearts are sprinkled clean, and that our evil conscience and our bodies are washed with Washed with pure water. I'm going to stop for a minute and point something out to you. I hope you're listening. Full of confidence to come and approach because of what Christ did on the cross. When he not only broke the veil, but he broke our access to this. He, he mended it. He made us right. He provided a new way. Here in this verse, in Hebrews, listen to how, listen how the writer of Hebrews finishes this. We now have access. We can get in 
we choose to place our faith in Christ, and that righteousness that God gives to us gives us access. And just like Abraham, God imputes the righteousness of Jesus upon us. Look at how Hebrews ends this. Let us how let us consider how discouraged. I can go back to that verse for those of you who read it. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some is, but encouraging each other all the more you see the right day coming near. Now, now here's what I want you to see. I believe the writer of Hebrews put those last few verses there for a reason. Why would you begin to talk? Why would you begin to talk about God's righteousness being imputed to people, and then the access that comes with that righteousness that Christ gives to us? Why would you suck it in the tail of that statement and on, oh, encourage each other in good works, and don't forget to go to church? I'm not sure why. Remember earlier I said to you that just because you become a Christian, that you are still not happy. Can I tell you something? Just because you're still a Christian, bad things will happen. And many times, it's because we happen to each other. Are you with me? Many times, it's because we forgot we're supposed to encourage each other in good Instead, what we do is we make ourselves as ugly as we can be with those that are closest to us. Paul says, the writer of Hebrews says, encourage each other. Don't forget to gather together. Because the more you get together and the more you gather together, I believe we are so messed up, the more opportunity we will have to forgive each other. I hope I'm making sense right now. You understand what I'm saying. Let's get back where I started at the second verse. Right now you should be praying. I'm going to be at the second verse. Be a baby. <laughs> Through him we have obtained access. We have entrance to the king with favor of Jesus. That's what the word literally means. Entrance to the king through the favor of his son Jesus Christ. I want you to look closely what has happened in the first two verses? Um, and, and I need to go back to that first verse. I need to see it. I want to figure out what it here. Take a nap. I'm using five. This way I won't mess myself up. I want to read you what Romans 5 1 says just so you have it before I get into that second verse. Because I want you to see what's being said. Oh, he didn't have 5 1 in there. First verse says this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then in the second verse, it's up there, through him we also have access by faith into the grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What do I want you to see in those two verses? We have peace with God, we have access to God, and we have the hope of Access to God. 
that wasn't holy ground, you're going to get killed to the Gentile. Jewish person, you try to get that, that, that mail, you are going to be in trouble. Because Jesus tore that mail now, we not only have peace for things that are gone by, we have access for today. Go back to the Hebrew passage for a minute. Showed up at church this morning. Boss Holly walked up to you and said something that just really ticked you off, right? Today your posture's bad. Why don't you stand up straight? You walked away and said, Well, that arrogant phone guy. Now you have access to what you need when somebody takes you off. You go to God and say, God, you forgave me for every sin that I ever committed. And because you have forgiven me for every sin that I ever committed, may forget, may, may forget and ever will commit. Because you have forgiven me, I can extend that to God. So we don't have peace for sins prior, but we have access right now when the going gets rough. Are you with me? And then look at the next part of this. And we have the hope of the glory of God. What does that mean? We not only have peace for things prior, access for things current. We know where we're going to be. We have the hope of the glory of God. I'm going to tell you something real honest. If we didn't have hope for the future, why would we even gather Bad can bring good. That's what Paul's telling you. 
saved by son Jesus and his work upon the cross does not mean that trials are going away, don't you? In this world, you will have trials. Jesus overcame the world, but you're going to have trials. And Paul says, I'm going to teach you how to get through them. I'm going to teach you how you can go through the sufferings this life, Paul says. That they can work for you instead of against you. So he says, suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. When I was a kid, some of you know, uh, uh, yeah, one you Fiesta Ware. How many of you familiar with what Fiesta Ware is? How many of you have Fiesta Ware? Very nice. Fiesta Ware comes out of Homer Lawless, China, in Chester, West Virginia. Fiesta They were previously uh, owners of Years ago, I don't think they were owners, but eventually Paul China, East Liverpool, and Homer Washington went together. Um, East Liverpool at one time was an impoverished entire world. I don't want to do that. That's what I'm saying. But um, when I was a kid, the whole China company, the, the, the plant, a quarter of a mile, I mean, it was just two streets over. And when I was a kid, you would never get away with this today, but I kid you not, when I was a kid, we would ride our bicycles over to the Lost Times to watch the assignments. And I'm telling you, when I was hair half over you, hair, when I was younger than you, we rode on bicycles without our parents present. And we would go over to the Hall China Company, and we would walk into that thing. Sometimes we'd try to get our bikes in there a little bit down that first highway. And nobody thought a thing about it. And you would go in and they would take clay, of course they weren't doing the pottery wheel thing back then, it was all poured and molded and all this, but they would take clay and they'd mix it with water and you'd get this soft stuff and they'd press it out and you'd see it there and they would begin to decorate it, they'd begin to put circles on it, gold trim and all this stuff, but none of it meant anything, because if you messed it up, you just threw it down in the barrel and they started over it, it was soft. But the ones that made it through the whole process of Mixing and molding and putting together. We got to see all that. They went to the kiln. And it was in the kiln where you really got the good stuff. Because they would put that in there and run it through that kiln. And when it came out, when they pulled it back out, literally back in that day when I was a kid, they put it in and pulled it out. Just so you know, they didn't let us get real close to the kiln. But when they put it in and pulled it out, it was hard. And the colors that were pretty bland and non-important when they threw it in, brightened up like you never forget. And the gold trim would look so nice. I have in my office uh, three different pictures from the whole China company that were made right there in my neighborhood. They're actually trophies from bicycle races that Janice won at the old pottery festival. But anyway, my point is this. Look at what Paul said. Trials come as a Christian, and when they come, it produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Remember what I said to you. Matt says for old sins. I'm sorry. 
peace in the old city. Access for the time. Hope for the future. Why do we need hope if you're a Christian? Because even as Christians, you will have to go through things. Even as Christians, you may have something wrong happen. You may get a bad diagnosis. You may wind up with someone in your life or something that has happened that is worse than anything you ever thought could have happened. child you love is no longer there. Why is it when those kind of crowds come along, so many people ask the question, where's God? You've heard that, right? In the middle of this, where is God? Perfect picture in the Bible that even though the question is there, is not there, is in the story of Job. Job loses it all. What's his wife say? Don't you curse God and die? Because really what's inside of Job's life's statement is your whole faith in God is a joke because this will never happen to you if God is real. So people ask the question, where is God? And I have an easy answer for that. Remember, Job had to be for understanding. Job had a real relationship. If you remember the story, he went and prayed for his kids. He was always lifting them up in prayer. He went and took care of the spiritual aspects he had to take care of. I think the reason people ask the question, where is God? Because they already don't have God. You with me? So, 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 so when they go to the kennel, because just like you're a Christian, and God didn't promise you it's going to be a rose garden, if a person is not a Christian, God didn't promise them that. Good things aren't going to happen to them. This stuff happens. It rains on the just and the unjust. These things just happen because of the sin in this world. Paul comes along and says, but the difference for you, Christian, is you've been forgiven. You have access to God. You have a hope for the glory of God for the future. And because of that, when the suffering comes, you can endure because you know what your hope is. And because you know what your hope is, that endurance will produce character. When you go through the kennel and you come out the other side, people are going to look and say, man, is that what a Christian was like? Because when he started into this, he looked pretty bad. When she went into that cancer, she looked terrible. But now her witness is such that I see the gold thread and I see the color in all that. And I see that something's happened to her that I might want access to. But a Christian, suffering works differently. Let's look at Romans 8, verses 35 to 39. What or who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can tribulation or distress? Can persecution or famine? Can nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake, we are being healed up all day long. We are regarded as sheep waiting to be slaughtered. Them as human candles at night to walk 
around the city. Oh, who's not you in here? Well, you're a Christian, you are still a brother's son. He said, no. In all these things, in everything that happens, we're more than conquerors because of the one who loves us. And he said, I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate me, separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Stop for a moment, church, and look at how suffering is different for a believer. I'm going to put it up. I'm not going to go through all my sentences. I'm just going to put it up on the screen for you. The, the result of trial in the life of a believer is this. First, you suffer. You develop patience. Your patience brings character. Your character brings hope. Remember that peace that passes in. Access to God for current situation. Hope for the future. Hope is right here at the end of this list of how in a way that Paul outlined it there this morning. You know what the writer of Proverbs said? Why Solomon said this? Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled brings life. You see, here's why Christians suffer differently. Because when you have faith in Jesus, when you have, what, what motivates our faith? What proves our faith? It goes back the fact that Jesus walked out of a grave. It, it comes out of the fact that he was crucified and died on the cross, placed in a grave, and three days later he stood up and walked out. And our faith is that because he lives, we can live also. That's what faith is all about for the Christian. And so someone comes along and says, hope deferred will make you sick. What that means is that there's no, it's just what Paul said in the New Testament. If Christ be not raised from the dead, we're of all people most miserable. Because we're placing our hope in something that we really don't have any belief is going to take place. If Jesus didn't work out of that tomb, we might as well close it up and go home. But our hope is real because he rose. He came out of the grave. And so hope deferred will make you sick, yeah. But hope is real. It's a tree of life. find hope in suffering, how hopeless could you possibly be? If there was no redemption, no relief, no respite from, tra from tragedy, how would you live? But our hope is in Jesus, and in what we know happened to him, and the fact that we live in the hope of the glory of God for our future. Remember how that word goes, suffering, and patience, and character. Let's get to the last verse that the pastor's responding to here. That's the fifth one. I'm still going to get to six, seven, and eight, but right now I'm just responding to the fifth one. And hope will never put you to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I know I've hammered this home, but I'm going to kind of stretch out that whole peace, access, hope thing for a minute and remind you. Because peace, not now, at this point, peace, access, and hope. I want you to put that in one compartment. Okay, I've handled that on enough. And remember what Paul said. What Paul said was, you will have those things. We have peace and tribulation. Then the next thing he said in the second verse was, or the third verse was, that you can have joy in that tribulation. 
to, to if you have the peace of your forgiveness and you have the access to God the, the current and you have the hope of God for the future when the tribulation comes you can joyously live because the hope you have for the future lets you know that this is not the final ending place that this cancer this circumstance this situation this death this whatever it is that you are currently enduring is not your final resting I love how, I love how Paul says right here, God's love is poured into our hearts. God's love is poured into our hearts. Did you ever notice the peace, right? Joy and suffering, and now God's love poured into the believer. Did, did you happen to catch that those are the first three verses here in the life of Christian? Love, peace, joy, and suffering. Peace and suffering. Because in your time of trial, in your time of tribulation, in your time of heartache, God's going to make the So here in church, that it's more than you can bear. I've been keeping you frequently updated on it because it's really like gifts. I have mastered tomato plant growth. My tomato plant that started years ago, something like this. Such as this, that you never reap little short pain. 
We cannot round up enough to take all the everything that God generously puts into our lives through the Holy Spirit. We can't. What's the message said right there? You can go buy 20 cases of whatever you want to buy, whatever size you want. Gallons of pleasure. You will never be able to contain what God will do in your life to get you through whatever the circumstance is. So I come back to the title Faith in the Fire, the Joy of the Traffic Jam. Most traffic jams don't matter that much in the big scheme of things. They're kind of like the Big Mac with a pepper dip in it, or whatever your local snack is. They're kind of like, you know, the little things. Fire comes immediately. Paul has told us this morning that when life gets difficult, when trials come, when life seems weak as it can be, God's still at work. In so many ways that we cannot gather up his kingdom and hold the blessing of his love that will be poured into the Christian's life in that time of trial. What holds that together? What, what keeps that over? You know, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fiery furnace, and they looked in to see them, there were four in the fire. That's that overflowing protection of God that is placed upon their lives. When, when Gideon went out to fight the army, you'll remember that, that God wanted to put down in the creek, and the ones that laughed like dogs, you know, the ones that, the ones that put their head down to drink out of the creek, 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 I love these little boys. <laughs> The ones that get, get, get pulled him out of the army, and, and suddenly his army is cut down by two thirds. God says, You're still winning the battle because I fight the battle for you. You can't trust in your people as soldiers. You're not trusting in me. People that found in God poured more into him than what he needed. Elisha, when they found him in the city of Dothan, and he found himself surrounded by the enemy, and he went to bed that night. When he got up the next night, he looked up. Around the city, there were angels of God as warriors. God said to Elisha, I fight the battle for you. You see, the way that God pours out his blessing into our life is his choice. It may come in people. It may come in healing. It may come in endurance. It may come in a cure. But you can count on it for the believer in Jesus. God always pours out his blessing in a mouth. I love Isaiah 43, and I think it gets the gist of what I want you to get before I get to my bottom line today. Isaiah 43, 1 and 2 says this, But now says the Lord who created you, the one who formed you, Israel, fear not, I redeemed you. Now just stop a minute and understand that as a believer in Jesus. If you know Christ, you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And the God of Israel says to Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. That just puts in my mind that God knows every hair on my head. He knows every circumstance I'm going through. He knows every situation I am in. I have called you by name. You are mine. When trials come, first question we ask is, why is God doing this? But the second question we ask is, why is this happening to me? And so many times we arrive at the point that Satan puts into our hands and then into our hearts the 
we've done something wrong to deserve this. It was that circumstance we did with our wife years ago. It was that situation with our kids where we messed up. It was way back when when something happened. God says, no, 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 no. You are mine. I've redeemed you. I know every hair in your hand when I've called you by name. You belong to me. So when you pass through those waters, I will be with you. And when you go through those rivers, you will not be overwhelmed. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned and it will not consume you. Because I, the Lord your God, who knows every hair in your head, who has called you by name, and I am the one who owns you, I will be with you in the river, in the fire, in the storm. Church, that's all about us. It's all about us getting through, not just getting by, getting through, surviving and thriving. God calls off the war with us all the way back in that first verse. He signs the peace treaty when we accept the blood of Jesus Christ. He fills us with joy and he lavishes his love upon us so much so that we can't contain it in our vessel. But hold on there for a minute. Here comes those three verses I told you about this morning. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. <laughs> While we were still at war with God, Christ died for us. While we were still at war with Him, he went to the cross. If I got to put it into words to understand, while I was still doing everything I knew better than to do, while I was still sitting against Jesus, while I was still committing all that harm and that damage in my life, God said, I love you. I'm going to die for you. While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for an ungodly person like me. Somebody might die. For a good person. Someone might die for a reasonably good person. But God's love dies for a wretch like me. Please get this. This is so important that you get this. But when Jesus died, when it says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, please get this. We were still at war with him. We had placed no faith in him. We had not asked for forgiveness from him. We had said, we don't care what you do. We're in charge here, and we're running this show, and we're going to live for ourselves. That's when Christ died for us. When we were as ugly as we could possibly be. When we were as wretched as we could possibly imagine. Christ died for us. And he did that so we might one day have forgiveness, and we might one day have joy, and we might one day have peace, and we might one day have hope. All God ever said to us was, when they get it right, I will love them. What a mess we'd be. He didn't say that. You see, the mess would be it would be in a permanent way. I said I love them first. So they had the opportunity to know the peace, the joy, 
Grace and Anchorage uh, writes about relationships between husbands and wives. Actually, back up, not between husbands and wives necessarily, between men and women. But generally, it's husbands and wives he talks about. And he talks about what happens in a marriage arrangement when, when spouses get into that. And he says, I think most of you will agree about what I'm about to tell you. He says, he says, that most men want to be respected. Most men want to be respected. They, they don't need to have flowers and candy and, and all that romantic stuff. What men need, most men, is to be respected. But most women, on the other hand, they aren't at all concerned with respect. They want to be in marriage relationship, according to Emerson Eggers, is this. One day, the wife says something that is disrespectful. At least to the husband. You forgot to take the trash out. It stinks. When are you going to stand up and be a man and do your job? And all at once, this little seed of an argument that this man now feels disrespected in. He decides, well, we're going to go out Friday night for some hard times. Because what disrespect would be like that? He won't say that. If you want to disrespect me, then I'm not going to love you. And it works the other way. The wife hears something unloving about him. And then she decides, well, because he's going to act like that, I'm not going to. Something just prompts her. Why are you bringing that up, Joel? I thought you were looking how Jesus did it. He didn't wait for us to be respectful. He didn't wait for us to be loving. He didn't wait for us to ask for it. He didn't say, gee, well, when you get it right, I'm going to do what you need for me. Jesus was so righteous in his love and in his forgiveness that he knew what we needed and we couldn't get there anyway on our own. And so he just said, I'm going to love you in spite of how terrible you brings me, church, to my bottom line. You see, he was at war with us, but what did he do? He laid down his weapons of war. He laid down his wrath, and he picked up a cross, and he loved us. Bring me to my bottom line. The love of Christ unleashes the power of forgiveness. I'm not going to ask you a very direct question. Did you hear this question come out of my mouth today? I want you Who are you at war with? Who? If, if you're at war with Christ, here's something you need to know. He already signed the Chiefs Agreement. That, that's what the cross was all about. You just need to go pick up your copy. You need to say, Lord, forgive me. You need to say, Lord, I am sorry for my sins. Lord, I want you in my life. He will forgive you because he already died. He loves you so much, he did it before you even could possibly ask him. So, so that, that's how that is for those of us that may not know the love of Jesus. But for those of us in the room today who have already settled with Jesus, we've picked up our copy of the Chiefs Creed. He has lavished his love upon us. 
He has poured into our cup more than we could ever think or imagine of himself. He has continued to see us through every trial of life, and it just continues to overflow. It's all over our life. It's all over our core. We have seen so many blessings from Jesus, we can't even count them any longer. Everybody loves the benefits of being a Christian, don't they? I do. I love the fact that I have the confidence and the full assurance that if I kick off right here in front of you this morning, I am going to go directly to the presence of Christ. I love it. But who was I at war with before I knew Christ? The one who shows compassion and forgiveness. The one who continues to extend that grace and in spite of my anger and my oft-times failure to forgive, in spite of my hatred for certain matters of life and perhaps some people in this world, he continues to pour that love into me. Because he, he knows that not only am I going to have bad times, but as a Christian, we do bad things. We don't do the right things. I knew a lady in the church once who told me that Christ had perfected. Christ had perfected her. Man, that's what perfection looks like for all of us. God knows. Not only are we going to suffer, not only are we going to have heartache, we're going to do it for ourselves. So patience and endurance during those times does produce character. If we fail to forgive in this situation, but the next time that comes along, we'll learn how to do it. And we know that what Jesus said to us is that when those times come along, they actually work for our good. And it sounds good to us. But I think what he wants us to do in pouring out into our lives, all that he's poured, his love just keeps coming out. I think what he's trying to say to us, church, is something like this. Jesus knew from the moment he set his nose towards the cross of Calvary. That the suffering began there. He knew that Pilate was going to do what he did, that Herod was going to do what he did, that the Roman soldiers would do what they did. They gambled for his clothes, they beat him, they put him on a cross, they crucify him. He knew that when he set his nose towards the cross, towards Jerusalem. I want you to get this. This is so important, this point. I know I've gone over it today. But this excites me, so indulge me a little bit. He did that knowing that in spite of all that suffering, in spite of all the heartache he was going to go through, it was not going to produce one more ounce of perseverance, hope, joy, or anything in his life. Did you hear me? Going to the cross for Jesus wasn't going to do one thing for him. He was God! But he never turned back. He never turned around and said, forget them. So here's what I say to you the bottom line is that the love of Christ unleashes the power of his forgiveness in our life. Here's what I want you to see, church. Really simple. If Jesus has poured out his love on 
so much sorrow, so much love, so much joy, so much hope, and so much forgiveness that they can't contain. Why don't we connect that out to the way God sees us? It's like a dragon place. It only reveals what you were born with. This is not going to start. 